This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. everyone. This is Chris Grosso with the Indie Spirituals podcast on the MindPod Network. I'm very excited to have my guest, uh, Kaylee, with me today. Kaylee is an ex-punk rocker, mother of three amazing kids. She joined the Hare Krishnas when she was 19, but she remembers loving Krishna way before then. She and her husband, Sachi, own Equal Vision Records, a label I am very, very fond of, and we'll talk more about that later. Uh, But Kaylee also teaches yoga, chant kirtan, and loves dark chocolate with peanut butter, a woman (laughs) after my own heart. (laughs) Thank you so much, Kaylee, for joining me today. No problem. I love doing interviews, to be honest. Well, good. (laughs) So you're in the right place then. Yes. So... What I wanted to start out with today, Kaylee, is that I actually know you more familiarly as Kate from many years ago. Um, And I say I know you, but I've actually never met you in person per se. Um, But I know you as Kate because you were in one of my all-time favorite hardcore bands, 108. And you also did a a wonderful solo project called Project Kate. Um, And both I was fortunate to see a number of times back in the 90s. Uh, and when I, when I mentioned this to you, actually, before we, we did the interview, I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm going to call you. But, but you said, well, let's talk about Kate, because you said a lot of people who know you today don't really know you as Kate or don't know a lot about what you used to do. So I thought that would be a really great place for us to start. So maybe we can go back to the okay. 90s, 80s, wherever you feel like starting. And just tell me a little bit maybe about your introduction to the Hare Krishnas or hardcore, which came first, um, really anywhere you want to go with that. And then we can kind of uh, jump off from there. Okay. Well, when I was a little kid, um, I lived in a town called Southwesterlo, which was um, in really right similar to or close to where I live now. And it was I always say it was in the foothills of the Catskills, which is kind of true. And at that, um, it was a place where in the 1950s and probably before then, there were all these, um, what they were called resorts, like like in the movie Dirty Dancing, like the places that people would leave New York City and they would go and every, it was like an all-inclusive vacation. Yeah. And um, there were about five or six of them in the town where I lived and they were still, people still came up to them in the 70s, but then you know, sort of late 60s, early 70s, I think that stopped being something people did. They started to travel more. And those places were bought by different spiritual communities. And one of them that was the closest or to my house was bought by the disciples of Vivekananda. Ah. So, and I was about, um, so I was seven and I went there. I, I, there was a woman there teaching flute. And I went there and I used to ride my bike up there and she would teach me in the ashram. She was like the flute teacher in the town. And I, I went into her house. Uh, not, it wasn't a house. It was They had turned this resort into an ashram. And I went in and in that house was a picture of the universal form. Hmm. So like right away, I had this like complete soul experience and heart experience of Krishna in this universal form. Like this is it. I knew right away. And then a few years, it's so funny, a few years after that, the movie Gandhi came out 
Yeah. And I was already like completely fascinated with Indian culture and from taking flute lessons in the ashram, my mom's friend who was, they, my mom, you know, became friends with the ashram people and they would do hatha yoga and her friend played the tablas and they brought back for me the, the Mahabharat comic books. Oh, nice. nice. And so I was, I would, was, had this whole stack of the Mahabharat comic books and I would just pour over them a little richy rich also because I like comic <laughs> books. But I would pour over these Mahabharat comic books and then I saw the movie Gandhi and I was fascinated and there was the moment in the film where the woman who becomes Gandhi's disciple who's Western, she gets out of the train and I said to I knew like in my heart, I thought, that's what I want to be when I grow up. And so this woman is sorry, you know. Yeah. And then I kind of, you know, kind of grew, let it, you know, rest that kind of part of me kind of just sort of went a little dormant and I got... Uh, I got really into hardcore music, <laughs> sure. which had, you know, this kind of rebellious spirit. And I was trying to like, I definitely knew I didn't want to be, you know, doing the average thing that Americans were doing. And none of that appealed to me. And this was kind of an interesting way to, you know, express myself. And like, I guess most teenagers are angry. So I could be angry with <laughs> lots of other teenagers. Uh, yep. Yep. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. People that meet me now are like so puzzled by that. And, uh, <laughs> I just can't figure it out because I'm such a, a peace-loving hippie yoga teacher now. Right. But right. I had a lot of, you know, I want, yes, I wanted to punch people in the face and scream loud stuff and listen to music that has essentially made me deaf. Yeah. <laughs> but um, at that time, I was in, you know, I was mostly involved in the New York hardcore scene because I was like Albany. I lived at Albany and all the New York bands would come up. And I actually met my husband when I was 14. <laughs> wow. He was the promoter in Albany. He, we didn't date then, just FYI. Sure. And so Albany, I, I, we'll get back to your story. I'm just trying to put the time and the, the place here together. Because yep. uh, we have Snapcase was Buffalo, correct? This is like way before Snapcase. Even bo- okay, so... 1986. So gotcha. the first hardcore show I went to was like was actually Black Flag. Wow. Okay. And that was I was in eighth grade and it was 1986. Yep. And it was the spring. And yep. then, you know, right after that, I just sort of... After the first one, I just was committed and I just kept going. Yeah. And my parents would have to drop me off. <laughs> How funny is that? That's great. Uh, and I would make them drop me off a distance from there so I could look cool walking of course. into the show. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so then I got into, and I had a friend who was from Brooklyn and she had her summer house in, in upstate New York and she kind of, she was five years older than me. So she got me, her name's Mara okay. and I'm still friends with her. And she got me into like the started getting me into like the Clash, um, even kind of other bands like the Tubes and Squeeze and all those bands. But then uh, my favorite band was Stiff Little Fingers. Oh yeah. And I got into all that kind of like you know sort of punk music. Yeah. And then I was sort of looking for that, and then the hardcore scene just sort of was there, and it was really good in Albany. And yeah. partially that was because of Sachi, who was Steve Reddy. Yes. <laughs> he was a he was a super good at promoting. You know, he always did a really good job. So we had every every band. And that was more like the era of like um like token entry and underdog and yeah. sick of it all, which they've had a long they've had a long run. They're still and doing great, yeah. Still doing great. <laughs> but yeah, so we're talking like youth of today inside out era. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, even before Inside Out. Inside Out oh. to me was like a new band. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so it's more like it was at the very end of like Dead Kennedys and, and JFA and like those bands. And I also, because I was had some older friends, I loved a lot of the earlier kind of, you know, s- sort of earlier hardcore bands. I also loved Bad Religion and I loved all the DC hardcore bands. Like sure. Dag Nasty played in Albany. It was like really amazing for me. I love Dag Nasty, yeah. Rites of Spring. Oh, no, yeah. Th- those kind of bands. All the Discord stuff. All the Discord stuff I loved. Anyway. So, so, so when did you start playing guitar? What kind of led you into 108? Um, you know, if you could talk a little bit about that. And, and you know, this is going to lead in a bit to, um, you know, yeah. the, the connection between spirituality and hardcore which I, I believe there is in punk rock but um, I would love to hear a bit about you know yeah so well that. I started um I started to play guitar like I started to play guitar and write like in early 
of ninth grade. And then like, you don't have to be good at the guitar to be in a hardcore band. So, so I started <laughs> before I played guitar though, I sang for a hardcore band, okay. which was called last action. This See, I didn't like, know this. Yeah. So I sang for this little Albany hardcore band and we opened up for Wolfpack and underdog. Nice. Nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we only played that one show, but I was like, I think I was like 14. And then I started to play the guitar after that, and then I played for um, and I and I played bass, and I played bass in this Albany hardcore band called All Fall Down. Okay. And then, basically, what happened was, you know, I knew my husband. This is going to explain how I got into 108. Yeah. Knew my husband. He joined the Krish- Hari Krishnas, and he became a, har- a a brahmachari. So I lost touch with him. He was like a monk in the ashram. Yeah. Um, the. Krishna and the hardcore scene in New York was always connected because of the Cro-Mags. It, you know, I I remember when Age of Quarrel came out and yeah. it was like the time when it was hard to find records and there was like one copy and we were at a girl's house and we were like gathered around the turntable <laughs> <laughs> looking at the picture and the picture fascinated me. Yeah. And then it what happened was I went to a hardcore show and I needed a ride home to Albany and I was still friends enough with my husband and, and Ray Capo yeah. that they gave me a ride home. So awesome. I went, I slept overnight and I went and I met them at the Brooklyn temple and they gave me a ride home. And when I walked into the Brooklyn temple, everything about that Vivekananda ashram, which was called the Vivekananda Vedanta Vihar came flooding back to me the smells and the the sounds and all of that. It was like this remembrance of my childhood was reawakened just mm-hmm. in that moment of walking through the doors of the Brooklyn Temple. Mm-hmm. And I, I sort of very soon, I, I kind of it rekindled my connection. And then I, I still didn't see my husband for, you know, he wasn't my husband then for a long time. Um, for several years, I didn't see them. There was like this dormant spiritual thing happening for me. I was looking for different things, exploring different paths. And then I, I bumped into him at Lollapalooza. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> and I was nine, I was 18 and a half then. Yeah. And, you know, then it was like, oh, maybe this could be, a th-. you know, like I had a crush on him, but he was 21 when I was 14. So obviously that wasn't going to work out. <laughs> Right. So this was years later and our age gap had made, become smaller and he had stopped being a brahmachari. And um, then he started to take me to the temple. And I went, actually, it didn't take long. I went once to the Wednesday night feast. Wow. And I never stopped going. I missed, I went Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday. Like, it was like full on committed, you know. And then, but... So so there I was, like this kind of like I'd been in this different hardcore bands, including this riot girl band called Growing Up Skipper, and I was like feminist and a punk, and I'm like living in the ashram, you know, like with yeah. all these. And I'm like, it was a big, it was a big change. I I wanted Krishna badly enough. It was quite a, it was a sacrifice that I made, and but pretty soon thereafter, like basically shelter was forming and. I joined at the same time as Purcell mm-hmm. and Ray came and got Purcell and was like, you're in shelter. <laughs> and then like a little while after that, I was living in the Philadelphia temple and Raj Kishore was there and it just seemed like such a great mit- match. Like I'm like, a play guitar. I'm like a hardcore kid yeah. and there's one away. Like, why not me? You know? And it was just, it was great for me because I think it would have been really hard for me to stay just only living in the temple, even though I had incredible attachment to the practices. I'd already been to India. Like I went to India almost immediately after I joined, you know, sort of fulfilling my childhood Gandhi fantasy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then then I just started to be in 108. And 108 was, I, I, I had a conversation where I tried to describe 108 to Krishnadas. <laughs> okay how did he's, that go he loved, he, loved, he's, he loved the clash you know he loved he loved he's like london Collins, one of the best albums i've ever so we're talking about this and he said so you know i said i was in a hardcore band called 108 and we were like played basically like really metal based hardcore except we had spiritual lyrics and his answer was the kali yuga is advancing <laughs> <laughs> 
Wow. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, when you try to describe it, it's like how those because one is so kind of like according to the Vedic Shastra literature. Yeah. One is very tamasic and rajasic, and it's very quite the opposite of what you're really trying to cultivate in spiritual life. But I needed it. Right. I needed that at that time. It was it was like my Chaitanya like time of life. I needed to just go. I had so much kind of <laughs> borderline violent energy. I don't know how else to describe it. For yeah. a girl, I was like a really aggressive, violent person, <laughs> mm. <laughs> which is so not me now. Right, right. Transformed, but even like I played basketball, I was really aggressive. I was, and everyone always say, "What's it like being a girl in a hardcore band?" And I was like. Oh yeah, I'm a girl in a hardcore band. I just thought I was in a hardcore band. I don't know. I don't oh know. yeah, because um, there, there weren't many of you. Um, there really weren't. No. Like I can count on like one hand. Sure. Yeah. Maybe less than that. Uh, so in the, in the '80s, almost none. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No. So that was a really not to like over romanticize, but I mean that was a really big thing, you know, in yeah. the hardcore scene. Uh, and there weren't uh, a lot of the Krishna hardcore bands. I mean, there was Shelter, there was 108, there was Prima. But I mean, you know, there was a lot of backlash against organized religion as well. Like, you know, we sure. had bands like Zayo uh, representing the Christian front and Sons of Abraham doing the, the Judaism thing. I don't really recall any Buddhist hardcore bands. Um, we got to do that. I, yeah, right. Let's do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so it, that's part of what I loved, though, about the hardcore scene was that, you know, everything was welcome, but sometimes things weren't welcome. You know, you had the atheist bands, you had the, the spiritual bands. Um, or you had like Born Against, you know, about. Uh, Born- yeah. So I actually knew those guys. I mean, I knew Sam McFeeters. He went to high school with my brother. But what was funny was he wrote the song Eulogy yep. about Sachi. Really? That's about Sachi. I did not know that. Yeah, so it was really funny because he's because later on we saw Sam and he said, "Dude, I wasn't dead. You could have just called me." <laughs> <laughs> but it was, you know, it was an interesting time because what I loved about hardcore and this is very rare, people just hashed it out. Yes. People would come up to me at shows and be like, "Are you brainwashed?" I'd be like, "Let's talk about that." You know, right. the the greatest misquote of all times and I thought of it <laughs> thought about it when you said there was christian bands there were jewish jewish bands there was that um i think it was this do you remember the fanzine rump shaker i do yes well it was i think it was in rump shaker i think he quoted we we were trying to describe why like we were like you can do anything and dovetail it into your spiritual life right and that we were in a religion we were a spiritual path and so we quoted from bhagavad gita and in bhagavad gita it says Abandon all all varieties of religion and just surrender unto me. Krishna says that. Right, well, the right. way he printed it was a band in all varieties of religion. Uh-huh. And so Krishna was saying, you should start a band in all varieties of religion. <laughs> and later on when I got it, I thought, that's so funny. <laughs> we didn't start 108 because Krishna said, you need a band right. in all varieties right. of religion. Anyway, well, I like I said, I still of all the the well, not that there's a lot, but I always personally preferred 108 to Shelter. I like Shelter, nothing against Ray. And for those who don't know, probably people listening would know Ray better as Raghunath uh, today, yeah. um, who's a, a very well known yoga teacher, and he's still you know youth of today and Shelter. Well, more youth of today does reunion shows. I don't know well, if Shelter. He's just recorded a Kirtan album too. That's coming oh really trilogy. Yeah, it's really phenomenal, and he's an unbelievably an unbelievable yoga teacher. Right. Like he's right. incredible. And he's actually, his kirtan record is, is pretty fantastic. Well, I can't but yeah, right. So Raghunath is, he, he was in many ways kind of the spiritual heart of that. I mean, you also yeah. have the other branch, which is like John Joseph, uh, you know, of the Cro-Mags, who's, right. you know, really a, a devotee as well. And whose nickname is also Jayananda. And, but Raghunath, you know, continues to teach and practice and, and all of that and, you know, amazing stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm a big fan of the Cro-Mags, you know, Age of Coral is a classic. I, it's interesting to watch, like, you know, last, I believe it was last year with the whole beef that went down with, uh, between Harley and John Joseph and the way they kind of handled it. But, um, you know, people are going to do what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So, you know, I, I always thought like 108 and Shelter is, is a bit more accurate representation of, uh, you know, of Krishna or Bhakti in, in its own way, um, you know, as you're trying to explain to Krishna Das, um, you know, because <laughs> devotion's devotion. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I remember I had a, I had a Christian phase, um, a very short lived one, but I was really into Zayo and um, who I can't remember the other bands. But, you know, if I was playing them and uh, someone, you know, at a church I went to, they, they didn't understand, you know, they're like that. They, that's not worship music. But. You know, that's something I run into today in some circles as, you know, I know you recently read my book that I talk about a little bit, uh, you know, as people, some spiritual people uh, from any tradition, I'm not calling anyone out, but, um, you know, they, they, they look at people and uh, take things at face value and will automatically place judgments. And, uh, you know, I think that's just really unfortunate because there's a lot of younger people uh, interested in spirituality. You know, there's so many young truth seekers today, which is incredible to me. Um, I love running into, you know, people, whether I knew them from the hardcore scene or, you know, I didn't know them, but they were, you know, involved in the hardcore scene. Um, they still are part of it. Who knows? But, you know, they, that, that passion or that yearning for something more just led them to the spiritual path. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's so funny. I was in Barnes and Noble the other day and standing in the Eastern religion section. And this young girl was standing in there and she was clearly like, she was looking for a book. She was, she was, and I saw her and she, then she, when I came, she kind of walked away. And like, you know, and I look like such a mom now, you know, and I want to go, I'm, I'm punk, you know, (laughs) then she, then I wandered away and I came back and I said, are you looking for a book on spirituality? And she said, I am. I, and I just like reached out. I'm like, you should read this. It's called Dharma Punks. Yeah. Yep. And, um, and it was like a light went on for her, you know, cause she was like looking and she just couldn't figure out how she fit into that. You know, she's, right. she was obviously, you know, like, I mean, well, it's so funny because like everyone we work with has like neck tattoos and, yeah. you know, so for me, it's just like part of our family and like, you know, part of our life. And it's like not shocking to me or anything. And <laughs> Right. <laughs> or my mom. And, um, <laughs> you know, I could just, it was, it was interesting. And I mean, I think that there, there has to be a place for all beings because we are actually all completely spiritual beings, whatever covering we have is temporary. And, you know, there's just, there should be no judgment. That should be Mm. the first premise of all the spiritual paths. Imagine if, just imagine if that was the the first stage one, step one, don't judge how, how open hearted and how, you know, magical it could all be without any of that. It's so important. And, you know, especially because a lot of people, myself very much included, we don't come to the spiritual path because our lives are, you know, full of unicorns and rainbows. You know, we're looking for something more, um, which is what leads a lot of us to the hardcore music scene. You know, a friend of a friend of mine, which I quote um, an indie spiritualist, and I love this quote. I actually jotted it down because I thought it was timely for this conversation, Um, you know, but he wrote, uh, he described the punk hardcore scene as a last ditch effort for authenticity in a world increasingly yes. devoid of it. I loved that. Yeah, right. I mean, how right is that? And I think that that's why I see so many people move on or not necessarily move on. They're still involved with the punk hardcore scene. A lot of them, some do move on, but they find their way onto the spiritual path. Well, and- as my teenage daughter says, yeah, one more washed up hardcore person <laughs> becoming a yoga teacher. <laughs> Well, you know, she's not wrong. (laughs) She's like, "Uh, I know. It's really funny. But I do think that this is another Bhagavad Gita. And I'm not a great scholar of Bhagavad Gita. It's funny because it's not my it's not my absolutely favorite sort of Bhakti. It's not really a Bhakti text. It's more of a philosophical text. And I, I, I try to study philosophy. And then I'm always just sort of like, I'm always like driving my car back to the really like nectarian Bhakti texts it just happens to me i'm like i should read the upanishads and i'm like oh but the stories of krishna are so (laughs) are so nice like philosophy is like anyway so but there are different seekers of spiritual truth and and krishna describes them and one of them and this is a very loose quote is 
people that are in distress. And I think that so many people that come to the hardcore scene are either just totally fed up with what's out there available for like normal. And most people like get into hardcore when they're, you know, in the, in the, uh, the metamorphous stage of teenage life. Yep, they're okay. sick of what's out there for them. They're yes. tired of what their parents did. They don't care about any of the things that are being fed to them. They're they're just ready to, you know, politically, artistically, spiritually throw all of that out and start new. And we're we're good at it. And we've yeah. been good at it. And and a great example of that is like this most recent thing that happened. There was a a guy that I, I never knew very well from the hardcore scene who was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And within like days, like, you know, band, you know, the, the people from the scene who, you know, if I, if I'm to show these pictures of these people, they look like criminals. They're total thugs. Right. My husband and I were like, we know 20% of the people on gangland. Is that a problem? <laughs> Maybe fifty percent of the people. Anyway, hey. they came together. They raised like a hundred thousand dollars. They yeah. like hooked the guy up, like helped him pay off his whatever he needed to pay off. That was before there was this huge weekend long, you know, hardcore show. Everyone getting together. Everyone just like surrounding this person. So I didn't know him very well, but he's like one of my people. Like he's, you know, and we we always joke. My sister's husband was also in two pretty well-known hardcore bands, which is Undertow, and he was a drummer for Ensign. And yeah. he uh, introduced me to the concept of, he's like, you know, the civilians, they don't really understand us. And I'm like, oh, my God, I never heard that used before. <laughs> when, you're, when you grew up in, the, in that hardcore scene, it was such a family, and there was Absolutely. so much love, and there was, at the time, so much communication between all the different cities and ideals that were really lived for real not just like oh like wouldn't it be cool if we made like magazines for ourselves about our own thing like people did it they made fanzines they interviewed each other they made music popular with no backing from no financial backing no corporations just themselves i mean we the first bunch of equal vision stuff we just like we're like okay how many who wants to come over? We'll make food and we're going to glue all these seven inches together. Or we're going to like, you know, I remember with the shelter attaining the Supreme, we, we actually packed the, we actually got like all the case, the jewel cases, which we don't use anymore really, but, um, jewel cases and the paper. And we like set, we, we put the backs, we put the CD holder into the plastic (laughs) and then put the CD in and we closed them and stacked them up you know, really like grassroots. And that was, you know, 90s. And, and, you know, in the 80s, my husband had this little record label and they actually got like, their big thing was they had their own P.O. box and they glued seven inches together. I mean, they glued the, they got the things flat and they sat there and glued them, you know? I mean, it was grassroots, like you could only dream of now. And there was the dialer on the codes, you know, remember the dialers? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Like, how can you call someone from the road? No (laughs) cell phones, no MapQuest, no maps. Uh, I remember when we would tour, you know, in in some of the bands I was in, um, it was it was the prime time of hardcore. You talk about family. We would go. We would have the dates booked, but we would have nowhere to stay. And I mean, time and again, you're just on stage. You're like, hey, you know, if anyone can put us up for the night, we'd really appreciate it. Ninety five percent of the time we were sleeping at someone's place might not have been the best place, but we had a roof over our heads. That's like that was the family, you know, ethic that was happening. And yeah. it was awesome. I, I don't know it if it's Europe, like that today. Scandinavia. Everywhere. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful Worldwide. thing. And, and you just you almost can't imagine. It's really funny because my mom would let bands stay, stay at our house. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I just remember my mom being like. Agnostic front, you know. <laughs> Vinny Sigma, what? <laughs> but not everybody, but just <laughs> my mom's like, how's that guy Craig AF? Oh boy. I know. I mean, it's really funny because we're still friends with Craig, but my mom's like, I remember Craig AF. And I'm like, oh, my. Although at the time, my mom was like in her 40s. I thought she was like a thousand years old. And like, wow, she's so cool. <laughs> now that, I'm older than she was. Dude, that's super awesome. Uh, my, super awesome. Yeah, my parents would come to some of the shows my bands would play. And, and I was always jazzed on that. You know, like I, I really 
appreciated the support. When I made, I grew up playing soccer and hockey, so I was very athletic, but I was also always a skateboarder, so I had that yeah. dynamic. But when I was in junior high, I made that shift when um, uh, one of my brother's soccer teammates, his older brother, was the one who introduced me to hardcore. And he yeah. went on and he was in uh, one of my still all-time favorite bands, Cable, great, great band from uh, Hydra Head Records. And he uh, he started taking me to shows when I was, you know, in high school. And I mean, I just fell in love right away with it. So my parents didn't get it at first because um, yeah. I, I, you know, I started playing guitar, bass, drums, and I, I left the sports behind. But with time, you know, they saw like, all right, this isn't really a bad thing. And uh, and they, they were really supportive, which I know wasn't always the case, but uh, I was really always psyched on that. And that meant a lot to me. Um, so. I want to talk to you about um, a little bit about Equal Vision. Uh, I know we've already talked a bit about it a bit because I think that'll segue nicely into Montrology, which I know is a very passionate, uh, what what do I even say, project, record label, whatever, however you want to describe it. But I know it's something you're very passionate about with your husband. So Equal Vision came first. So I thought maybe we could just talk a bit about that and how that led into Montrology. and okay. equal, equal Vision, um, I think we've already established for those listening, it was a hardcore, it is still a hardcore record label, one of uh, one of the greats, you know, along with Victory and Revelation Records. Um, and then there were all those great ones gone by, like Initial and New Age, um, Edison Recordings. I, they're just, you know, so many. But Equal Vision is still up there um, doing its thing today. So if you could talk maybe a little bit about that, the label, and then uh, I'll lead us into Montrology from there. Okay. Well, uh, Raghunath actually started Equal Vision, right. and it's it's named from a verse in the Bhagavad Gita. Yep. And he put out, I think he put out just the Shelter 7-inch and then one other little 7-inch. Um, but my husband has always been friends with Raghunath and kind of done a lot of sort of business management around, you know, he, he was a tour manager for Youth of Today and he has a good, you know, he's a really good money manager, business guy, and he's very organized and he's just something that he's really has a natural talent for. And so he had worked at Revelation for a little while and was friends with Jordan. So he had kind of a sense of running a record label with very, you know, we were making this up as we went along, believe me, yeah, yeah. making it up as we went along. And he had done his little, um, his his little record label in Albany, and I'm having a senior moment and cannot remember <laughs> the name of it right now. That's so terrible. Oh, Combined I have them effort. too. Combined effort, it was called. Cool. Okay. So, um, and so he, basically, we moved into the Philadelphia Temple after we came home from India. We went to India, and with Raghunath was one of the guys that we went with. Mm-hmm. And when we came home, it just seemed like the obvious thing to segue into my husband taking over and, and starting to manage it. And then we basically, I think at some point, he's Raghunath was like, I don't really want to do the label. Why don't I just do the band and you do the label? So we bought the label from him for like, I don't know, the number that comes to mind is $1,400, which doesn't make, I, I don't know if I'm just making that up now. So please if you guys are listening and that's totally wrong, but it's something like <laughs> silly like that. And we got a, one of those square, really funny old original Apple computers. And then there were like a pile of seven inches in one of the rooms of the temple. And we started to just put out, we started to put out shelter. We really wanted to do it as a Krishna label, just shelter 108. And then the Prema were these like young kids at the Philly temple yeah. that were so adorable. And, they they like went around. They had the funniest. They had this thing called the Krishna mob in their high school, and they had like sikas, and they would wear like shawls to high school in like Pennsylvania. Sweet. And they found some crazy quote by Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati that said, "Grab grab yourself a mortar mortar and pestle and break their teeth with it," which was like some totally out of context punk rock. Gaudiya Vaishnava. I don't even know what it was in relation to, but they had these shirts that said Krishna Mob, and that's what it said on the back. <laughs> and they were so cute. They had to get permission slips from their parents to sleep over at the temple because they were too young. So yeah. they had to like come in and they'd hand in their permission slip and they'd like spend the night at the temple. They, I remember seeing them at uh, a great short-lived club in Connecticut called Studio 158. 
Yeah. And I, do you remember 158? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that was our gem. That and the tune-in. But 158 had more of the uh, that style. You I know, think we... I was at that show. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. I was at that show. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, so basically then, you know, years and years went by. There were only so many Krishna bands, and then there were only so many straight-edge bands. And then we just sort of started to get other, you know, in New York we made friends with, like, Shift and, like, you know, we just started to branch out be- sort of because we didn't have a choice. I mean, there just wasn't any more, you know, bands to put out. And they were still really in in line with a lot of what we loved and we were still really involved in the music scene. But then, you know, 20 years later, things had slid so far in the direction that one day my husband woke up and thought to himself and said to me, oh, my God, we are bending over backwards to to help bands that we started equal vision to get away from these kind of bands. You know what I mean? Oh, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that, that's not to say we don't love all of our bands because we really do, but it was just like all of a sudden the scene, the hardcore scene, which had been this tiny thing and all community based and all do it yourself and turn into like, it started to slide in the direction of like rock and roll. Mm. Really? Yeah. And, and, we decided that we wanted to keep doing equal vision, but we wanted to like make like, an, like I call Montrology the love child of equal vision. <laughs> and it was right around that time that I met this woman, Chandra, who was this amazing devotee, um, grew, grew up in the movement. She and I became friends at a yoga conference and she was like, you got to meet Gauravani. And I had met Gauravani, Gauravani of, he's a, um, on Montrology. But he and his friend Rasacharya wanted to have their hand at maybe running a spiritual record label, and we were going to be like the financial backers and the advisors of that. Mm. And they got it started. They got Equal uh, Montrology started. And so, you want to ask a question? Or well, you- yeah. What I want to do before we talk about Montrology, um, and oh, here it is. <laughs> I had actually printed out because I thought this was great. I was looking at your website. And I loved the little bio write up and I figured okay. I could just read that and then sure. you could take it from there. But I thought this was so well worded that I just I, I copied. I the wrote that. See? Hey, very nice. Maybe uh, I could be as awesome as you are someday. <laughs> yeah, maybe <laughs> it, it takes a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, then, as you wrote, and, and I really, really do love this. Um At Montrology, we are incredibly honored and blessed to work with the most amazing musicians and visual artists from the world of bhakti yoga. Since 2008, when we opened our doors, we've been delighted to watch the seed of chanting take root in communities throughout the entire world, especially in the U.S., Europe, and Australia, where kirtan is a newer phenomenon. We've witnessed how the great non-sectarian tree of mantra music has grown and blossomed. And I'm going to butcher this name. So, Lord Chaitanya. Thank you. A saint from Bengal, India, who lived during the time of the Renaissance, made a prediction that the chanting of the sacred names of the divine would eventually be enjoyed in every town and village. Even five years ago, this prediction seemed far away. We now witness it as a luminous reality. How fortunate we are to be doing exactly what we love and to be part of this worldwide shift toward a higher awareness. We create music in apparel, and we host events that uphold a vision of this great mission, the worldwide Sankirtan movement. Please join us in welcoming the dawning of a new era. Support our incredible musicians and yoga teachers and all the practitioners of bhakti from every bhakti lineage as we come together to be the change that we want to see in the world. And this is what I also really dig about you guys. It says, funds for Montrology events proudly go to support Food for Life uh, Vrindavan. Sorry about the pronunciation. Vrindavan. That's okay. Vrindavan. Vrindavan also is fine. <laughs> I'm, you know how you say you're, you know, you're not into the scholarly thing. Like I read plenty of Vedanta texts and whatnot, but I, the pronunciations, I am the absolute worst at. And it just, takes a while. I uh, felt so bad at that for so long. I'm like, how come I can't read? <laughs> oh, yeah, my friend Alana, um, she is a, a scholar actually of, of Hinduism and uh, Sanskrit. And, you know, she takes it very, very seriously. So I, always get really nervous when I'm talking to her about these things. <laughs> so I just kind of keep my mouth shut. <laughs> but anyways, a school for very poor children in Northern India, Share Your Care, a mobile eye clinic for rural villagers in India, which is under the direction of Radhanath Swami. We've also donated to Off the Mat into the World through the students of Sean Korn, 
Montrology also partners with the Call and Response Foundation, an organization that brings sacred music to at-risk youth and into prisons. Join the Mantra Music Revolution. That's so incredible. So let's talk a little bit about Montrology, what you guys are doing, um, and some of these amazing um, people that you're helping out. Uh, Really, whatever you'd love to share about it, I would love to hear. Well, I just realized that um, I really believe that you can do something that you love and you can make money at it and you can give some of the money away or in our case, all of the money away, at least for Montrology. We just decided that we would do it as a seva, that all of the money that if there was surplus money, then we would support these different initiatives, all really important initiatives that are out there. You know, one in the more United States, which is the Call and Response Foundation, which everyone should go see what they're doing because it's really incredible. They had a, Krishnadas did a, a kirtan in a women's prison in Vermont. And, you know, just just getting to people that nev- that literally have so little access to spirituality. Mm-hmm. I was serving those people. They do um, yoga teaching for at-risk youth, and they do, I mean, just incredible, incredible stuff. And that's um, this woman, Jen Canfield. And we try to have our musicians donate time for those different projects. And then we also actually give people CDs of music because it's one thing that you can give to people that are that are in prison and they that way they have like the access to the sacred sound mm. even while they're incarcerated so that's an incredible thing and then um, the Sean Korn thing was um, through this amazing woman named Shruti who lives in California and she raised something like twenty thousand dollars for um, for rehabilitation of young girls that were um, trafficked as sex workers in in India. Wow. And that's one of Sean Korn's projects. And I mean, you don't need to describe why that's important to, you know, basically getting girls back into school and getting them real lives, you know, where they really are empowered. And then the other ones, the Food for Life is um, a pet project of Shamdas, but also our dear friend Rupa Raghunath. Mm. And Food for Life from Davin started because... uh, Srila Prabhupada, who's the spiritual master of the Hare Krishna, said there should be no one within 10 miles, at least 10 miles of every one of our temples that ever goes hungry. Wow. So it's amazing because some of his disciples like really said, okay, like for real, we're not going to let that happen. And so this amazing man, Rupa Raghunath, started to do Food for Life, which was just people could come to the temple morning and evening and eat for free. And they had thousands of people. And then he started to think, well, that's good, but what if I actually started a school for the child- the street children? Because then they wouldn't ever need to come get free food because they would have their own livelihood. And so he started a school called Sunday Pani Muni School, and we um, make we donate to that every year. And it's it's one of the most incredible, incredibly so, um, successful social initiatives because he doesn't take and he doesn't skim anything for mm-hmm. like the. It just goes to the kids, and they have hundreds of kids graduating, mostly girls. They have they um, they do in, the girls at the school do environmental initiatives like planting trees. Um, they're they're trying to do water cleanup of some of the sacred rivers there. They do kind of trash cleanup in India, which is badly needed. Um, and they're becoming educated. And he doesn't just educate them a little; like they do self defense, martial arts. They learn classical Indian dance. They learn to play all the classical musical instruments. He also has like a basketball court there, and they have they play they play tennis with each other. They bring out these like you know ping pong. They play, and they, these kids would not play; they would be begging. Hmm. Not only are they becoming educated, but they're having real child a real childhood. And he has, you know, they get medical you know any kind of medical care they need. And he's actually done this thing, which is very close to my heart. Um, he basically takes some of the money that's donated and he makes dowries for these girls because it's still, even though it's not like technically done anymore, it's very much done in the villages. And what he does is he basically keeps buying the parents off so the girls can stay in school and graduate. Wow. So the longer you stay there, the bigger this dowry will be. And it's one of the girls that we, our family personally adopted, like, you know, paid for their schooling. Like we had two girls, we didn't adopt them, but we paid for their schooling 
we we got there the one time to go see the girls in school, and the one girl is the same age as my daughter, who's now in ninth grade, and she already, this was, oh, she's actually she's the same age as my older daughter. the The little one is still in school. The older one is now eighteen, and she has a like a five year old. Mm-hmm. So we got there, and then there's you know Rada, and she's got a baby. And my daughter's an eighth grader. They're the same age. She has like a one-year-old because her grandmother couldn't afford to pay for her. So she married her off. So this is like super important. When you see a 13-year-old with a one-year-old, you really know a 14-year-old with a one-year-old, you know, important thing. So I thought, anyway, and the last one is a, a mobile eye clinic. I won't talk too much about that. But when you have no money and you have terrible cataracts, it's amazing when Radhana Swami's disciples roll into your village and do free eye surgeries and you're not blind anymore. So we decided through Montrology that we would do like, how can we make it super awesome? We'll get together, we'll chant, we do different events. So the people that are there have this amazing community experience. They hear sacred music, they share, you know, beautiful, nice food together. And then the money is donated to these different charities. That's the the model of things like the Bajan Boat, or we did that for um, Chant for Change and different things. We try to, you know, sort of make it the full holistic picture of perfect magic where um, if there is, if there is sort of like money to be made, it goes to these places that badly need it. And then the musicians are still supported and going. And then, the, the music is getting out there. People are becoming interested in meditation. Community is being built. Sounds really like I'm doing something when I talk about it. <laughs> well, you are doing something. Most of the time I'm walking around a warehouse with like a cart with like cardboard boxes on it going like, I hope I'm being the change because right now I'm just walking through this crazy warehouse, you know, people with giant ear holes like yours and like neck tattoos. And I'm like, Hey, you know, with boxes of t-shirts or CDs and it's good to remember what's actually there. It's it's happening. Stuff's happening. So are you saying you're actually one of the people fulfilling the orders? I, um, (laughs) sometimes we do. Me and Sachi still go out in the warehouse and, uh, and pick orders just just to keep it real. So I, I think a lot of the people there don't even know who I am. <laughs> now Equal Vision has like a hundred people that work there, and I'll be like wandering through there, and I can just tell they're like, "Who is that lady?" You know, but oh, I but, dig um, it. yeah, and I also the production of CDs and T-shirts because we do make we also make T-shirts, the spiritual T-shirts with the idea. Like I had the idea that like in hardcore you would wear a T-shirt and you'd see someone from far away and you'd be like, "Oh, that guy likes Minor Threat. I like Minor Threat," you know. And so I thought that's how you would recognize each other. Like you'd be in Boston, you'd be like, "What's up?" You know. So in the same way, we made like sort of just on a whim, we started made some spiritually themed. Uh, t-shirts and people do love them they love to wear ganache on their heart and so no sometimes I really do just like I'm unpacking cardboard boxes and I'm like hauling things through the, like the either freezing cold or the really hot warehouse and trust me the the people that work for us are doing that 10 million times more than I am and all glories to them because they're what makes everything work we have phenomenal people that work with us but I am doing that sometimes Hey, it's DIY at heart. It's those ethics. I I understand. Well, I know we're just uh, about out of time. And I feel like we just really began to scratch the surface of what I would love to talk to you about today. Um, So that said, I want to be sure to have you back on at a later date if you're up for it. I think we uh, have plenty more to talk about. Yeah, we just got to the part where I started being a nice person. (laughs) (laughs) I know. All right. So we'll title this one part one and then we'll have to come back for part two. Um, But no, I really really admire and honor um, all the work you and Sashi are doing and have done for so many years. It's really incredible. Um, and, and I am sorry, I know we, uh, like I said, we're out of time, we didn't get to talk about more recent years, but um, I think I think that'll be a great place to pick up when we speak again. That sounds and, great. Um, Most yeah. people kind of know the recent years and just have, the the, uh, the funny thing was, I was at the very first event where I really got to know Jayutal, Gauravani said, Kaylee's going to be the 
the stage manager and she was in a hardcore band. So you got to really listen to what she says. And I like, I like, I'm, you know, like flitting in there. Like I'm like wearing white yoga pants and I'm like, Hey everybody, you know? And he's like, you weren't really what I was expecting. <laughs> I don't know if you thought I was going to be like, look like, you know, the singer of nausea or something, but right, like, right. <laughs> but I kept that on schedule. No, like, <laughs> Well, that's that's important. So I'm glad you. It did. was. It's just funny, you know. Yeah, but uh, Jai's great. Uh, that's so cool. You've worked with him, and uh, like I, I told you, I've interviewed him a few times, and he is always one of the realest, down to earth guys. Um, totally love him. Yeah, he is incredible. So we'll have to chat a bit about him as well next time we. I'd love to do this again. Cool. And by the way. Yeah. Your book is incredible. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I read it almost in one sitting. I couldn't put it down. It was really touching. And I, I hope more people, you know, get an opportunity to read it because I think that it's very real and it's really honest. And that is to me one of the, the sort of springboards of spiritual life is that place of true and deep honesty. And I was completely like, I loved it. So uh, read the book. Thank you for saying that. Truly, it means the uh, it means the world to me. That's why I wrote it, you know. So thank you for saying that, um, and thank you for being with me today. Um, so this this is Chris Grasso signing off for the Indie Spirituals podcast, and and with Kaylee. Um, thank you. It's been an honor, and we will talk again soon. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.